0: It's great to be here. Uh, I'm going to talk a bit more on our, on our theme of evangelism this morning. Um, so I thought I'd start with a story. Yeah. Now, you might remember the last time I was up here, I, I talked about uh, a mission we went to in the Czech Republic uh, with the guy with, with the hearing aids. Uh, I want to tell you another story from that conference because it was an amazing conference. And... Uh, on the Saturday afternoon, they had arranged for the whole of the youth in the conference, which was about that time was about 100 of them, to go onto the streets of the town that we were in, in the Czech Republic. And this town, when I say it was a town, it was probably smaller than Cottingham. So in the afternoon, 100 fired up, fire-breathing young people decided to burst on the streets in this sleepy town town uh, and just share the gospel with people. It was amazing. You, you look around, and there was more young people sharing the gospel than there was people on the streets. It was brilliant. It was like they were having to fight over each other to get to, to speak to someone because there were so many of them. Um, but my favorite part of, of that whole afternoon um, was when I was in this park bit by, by, a, by a river. And, and the way I do street evangelism, I don't like to go and speak to everybody I can. That's, that's not the way I do it. I, I like to go and speak to the people which God has put in my heart. If I go out and I have one experience where God breaks into a situation, I feel, great job done. Okay, so I know people think differently and that doesn't matter, other ways are, are just as valid. Um, so I'm walking past this river and I've got two of the, the Czech uh, teenage, teenage girls with me, and um, I see this gypsy woman with, with, the, with her daughter, who's about seven, and I feel like I need to, need to go and, and talk to this gypsy lady. Um, so I do, and I, I'm sharing the gospel through a translator, and it's just like I'm speaking to a brick wall. Have you ever had those kind of conversations? I'm talking about Jesus, and she's coming back to me, yes, I know all about it, and she's t- talking about religion. There's no personal relationship, but I can't seem to get through the barrier, or, but I want to bring the love of Jesus to her, and she's going, yes, but I do go to church occasionally, and I do pray these, these prayers. Um, so I do what I normally do when I'm getting nowhere with someone on the street. So I said, well, can I just pray for you? And then, then I can go on and find someone else who will listen. Um, and, and she said, yes. And what do you want prayer for? And then she, she gave me this long sob story about how she's, she's poor and doesn't have enough money. And I said, oh, okay, well, we can pray about that then. So, so I prayed for her for, for finances. And then as I prayed for her, um, God kind of convicted me that I needed to, to give her some money. I didn't want to give her any money. It's not because I don't like giving her money away. It was because I felt like she had manipulated the conversation a bit and was like saying, poor me, I need money. Uh, you, you must be rich. Give me some money. Um, so for that reason, I didn't want to give her any money because I don't like doing what people tell me to do. Is, is, is that the case with anyone else? I don't like being manipulated. Um, so, but anyway, um, the Holy Spirit continued to, to press on me that I need to give her money. How, how, how do you know? Now, how many people know? It's, it's not... You should not act because of how people act towards you. Yeah. It's not it's not I'm not my my behavior is not reliant on their behavior. Yeah. It doesn't matter if she's asking money or she's not asking for money. The Holy Spirit is telling me give her money. I need to give her money. So I gave her some money and suddenly it was like the prince of God had just hit that the space in between me and this lady and you could just feel Heaven all around, and suddenly we weren't talking, there was the wall had disappeared, and we're just speaking it straight into our heart the love of Jesus, and then the tears start flowing. And this is what I found time and time again on the streets you and, and in life in general, you just follow one act of obedience, no, no matter how silly it sounds or how much it's going to cost you, or and suddenly God just breaks through. It happens in meetings, it happens wherever in your life. Um, so, so I end up leaving her w- with one of the teenage girls because s- suddenly I wasn't needed anymore. They were just having this massive conversation, and I, I didn't know what was going on, but I knew God was there. And I and I noticed out the corner of my eye that um, the other teenage girl w- was talking to the seven-year-old daughter, and I'm thinking, I'm not sure about this because she was being quite, um, quite strong, and. One of, when I go out on the streets, I, I try and not to talk to children because I don't want to us to influence. It's very easy to manipulate a, a, a young child. Um, so I'm going over to come, like, cool it down a bit um, and make sure everything's okay. And as I take just one step, God tells me to pray for this girl. I'm thinking, no, that's even worse. Talk, talking about Jesus. No, I'm actually going to pray. So I somehow do a sign language conversation with the gypsy lady who's in tears, and I think everything's okay. So, so I pray for, for her daughter, and this is what I do, and some of you might have seen some stuff like this. I said, I want to pray the love of God into you, but I'm not going to touch you. And so I, put, I got her to put her hand out, and I put my hands either side of her hand. Didn't touch her. And then I just prayed the love of God into her hand. Through the interpreter, nothing happened. Prayed the love of God into her hand, nothing happening. Prayed the love of God into her hand and suddenly she could feel God in her hand. She didn't know what it was, you know. Her eyes were like, what's what's all this? And then the love of God just started to flow. Or she was telling what was happening, going through her whole body right down into her legs. She was just saying, this is amazing, what is this? I can just feel, I mean, I'm putting it in the interpreted language, in our language, the presence of God all in my body. And so, th- so then I'm thinking, well, I don't just want a, a, a spiritual experience. So um, without telling what I'm doing, I, I start praying that she would actually hear God's voice. Lord, will you let her hear your voice? As soon as I said those words, she starts babbling and babbling away. I mean, I don't know what she's talking about. It's in Czech and I don't speak it. Um, and then I see a tear running down from the, from the, from the girl who's interpreting it. And I am saying, what's going on? She says, she's saying over and over, over, I can hear him. I can hear him. I can hear him. Absolutely amazing. She didn't know what I was praying. And to be honest, that wasn't the prayer I was praying. I was thinking something more theoretical, kind of like, well, maybe she'd feel the love in there, she'd be open to a prayer of salvation. Not that God was actually going to take my words literally and she would hear the voice of Jesus in her, in her mind. Absolutely amazing. You, you can do power, of, you know, there, there are things of suggestion, you know, which you can do sometimes and people fall over and it's not actually God, it's just they've, they've fallen over. But hearing the voice of God like that when she didn't even hear it translated, amazing. And I could carry on with stories like this. I could tell you how we went into uh, an old people's home in Slovakia and how it was some kind of culture concert we were doing. Gave a short gospel message and then half the room responded to the gospel. Absolutely amazing when, when you know what Slovakia like. Or I could talk about when we went to Long Hill uh, with the youth and I remember Eunice and Holly walking up to this block of flats and five girls coming out. And within five minutes, they've led all five girls to Christ. In five minutes. Absolutely amazing stuff of what happens when you just step out in God. And I could carry on and carry on because it's been a great four years. Well, Lots of stories happening. But do you know what? I'm still a bit envious of other people's stories. There's a story I don't have. And I want it. And I don't think that's bad. I don't think that's bad. But I want it because it's, I think it's deeper than the stories I'm telling you now. And it's a story like I've heard from the lips of Angie and Nigel, who are praying for a neighbor, and then you hear the process of them speaking to a neighbor, and then inviting a neighbor to to a concert or to to some event, and then hearing that neighbor neighbor becoming a Christian, and then going for Alpha, and then bringing their family in, and the whole family changed from a neighbor which is next door. For me, that is, I'm I'm very grateful for my stories, but I think that's one higher. And I'll tell you why. Firstly, it's because it's a story of discipleship. Jesus didn't ask us to, to create converts. I've had lots and lots of incidents on the street where I've, I've, I've had an experience with someone. They've met with God. They may have even been healed. But it's just been a two-minute, five-minute, an hour experience. We are called to disciple people, which means lifetime which means that the Christian life is not just a, a decision, a sinner's prayer. It's guiding someone from a journey. And Jesus said, disciple, which means encourage someone from here to take the next step. Pray for them so they take the next step. Pray for them again so they take, encourage them. Where you need to, a little word of rebuke. But it's more encouragement, encouragement. Keep praying, keep asking, keep investing into that person's life. Yeah. And you can do that with your friends. And you can do that with your work colleagues. And you can do that with the person next to you. But you can't necessarily do it with the person on the street. And the second reason is this. Even Jesus had trouble doing miracles in his own backyard. Yeah. Yeah. He said that because of the lack of honor, he couldn't perform miracles. Yeah. Well, what's going on? Well, Jesus started to do stuff, started his revival meetings off, stuff is kicking off. And then people start to go, wait a minute, isn't that Jesus, the carpenter's son? Didn't I buy a table from him the other year? Didn't he, didn't he make our, our dining room table? And some of them might even say, I'm sure I changed his nappy. Yeah. Because he was familiar to them. Yeah. Guess what? You're familiar to your friends and your family and to the people on the street. Sometimes when I've been on the, on the road on mission, um, you get there and you, and you get such a response. It's like they think you, you, you don't walk on, on the road, you like kind of float because of the stories they've heard. They just think you're, you're amazing, because all they get is like a weekend or a few hours of like amazing stuff. People in your household, people on your street, people who you work with know what you're actually like. You can't put your Sunday best on for them because they know what it is actually like to live with you. So I'm very impressed when I hear that someone who you know has become a Christian through your life because they're not listening to the two-minute soundbite you give them. They're not listening to the 20-minute to the testimony you, they, you give them. They are listening to how you have lived your life. So the maturity of a Christian, this is, why, this, is, this is why it's so good, is because if you see someone saved who you know, who knows what you're like, guess what? You're not just, not just talking the talk anymore. You're walking the walk. They see what you're doing and say, I want a piece of that. They see that your life is better because you know Jesus and they want a piece of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I value those stories yeah. so much. Yeah. And that is why at Christmas time, we're doing what we're doing and creating events to make it easy to bring, Je- to bring people to Jesus in this cinema. Let's open our Bibles. Luke, Luke something. Luke 7, I think. Luke 5. So please, please hear me right. I'm not saying street evangelism is not good. I do it. I go around places doing it. What I'm saying is it's not better than. Asking your friend. Friendship evangelism used to be, in the circles I was, a bit, bit of a like, dirty word. It means, well, I'm just going to have friendships. I'm not actually going to bother you know, actually doing evangelism. Telling people who you know about Jesus, I think, has a greater cost than going to a stranger in a street and telling them about Jesus. So I respect deeply people who, who do it and, and have stories about it. So Luke 5, verse 27, and we're going to look at the calling of Levi or Matthew. Um, it is the same person. Verse 27, after that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Notice he didn't say prayer sinner said. Uh, sorry, a bleh, sinner's prayer, that's the one. He said, follow me, take me on the journey. Come with a journey with me. Come for a j- journey of discipleship. Not just an instant you're saved, that's it. And this is the response. And Matthew left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Matthew gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. I love these verses because in three verses, you have two sides to witnessing an evangelism. You've got Jesus doing evangelism, evangelism on the street. Going to where the person is at. This person is on the street in his tax collecting booth. Jesus has gone to find him, not expecting Levi to come and find him, find Jesus. And then in two verses time, you've got Levi creating a banquet, a feast, an event, so that people who, who want to can come and have a feast with Jesus. He's creating an event where people will come, where people will want to come and be in the same house that Jesus is and get to encounter Jesus through a meal. Both valid. One wouldn't happen without the other. But on the street, we don't know how many people were affected. In the house, suddenly, notorious sinners. It's a house full by the sounds of it. People are meeting with Jesus in that house. And guess what? They might not know where Jesus is the next day, but they know where Levi's house is. And when they're coming for another question the next day, they might not be able to find Jesus, who's probably disappeared up a mountain somewhere praying, but they know where Levi's house is. And they can go back there and find more support and find answers to more questions. So over Christmas, we are creating banquets. Banquets. We have created three events, and I'll get them out so I remember them, so I don't say the wrong thing. You can see them on on your red card. On the 6th of December, we have a Christmas concert. On the 13th of December, we have a nativity here. And on the 20th, we have a carol concert. Why are we putting those on? Because we are putting a banquet on. So that we can invite our friends, so we can invite our neighbours, so we can invite our family to have an encounter with Jesus. That is the point of it. You know, if your friends like hot dogs and you don't like hot dogs, but you know, if I put hot dogs on, my friends will come. Guess what you're going to serve if you're going to put a banquet on? You're going to put your hot dogs on. What we're trying to do over these three events is we're trying to to make an event where people will want to come. And when they come, they will have the opportunity, we'll make it as easy as possible, so they can experience Jesus. That is the thinking behind it. That is the thinking behind it. So, every ministry in this church exists for the same reason. Every ministry in this church exists to facilitate a meeting with Jesus the tech guys at the moment. Now, I could stand up here, and I could not use my microphone. I could not use my microphone, and you can hardly hear what I'm saying. If I don't use my microphone, I can't clearly communicate to you the gospel. If I don't use my microphone, I can't c- clearly communicate to everyone in here the gospel. So without my microphone, I can preach to 30. What are the tech guys allow me to do? They're allowing me to preach to 300. I'm preaching to 30, they're preaching to 300. All I'm doing is telling what is the message of heaven and giving it out. All they're doing is what is the message of heaven and giving it out. But they're, they're doing it to more people than me. Their ministry is to provide an encounter with Jesus and to make the encounter as accessible as possible, which is why they've, they've tweaked my voice and, got, and it sounds different from my actual voice. And why some people are going to say it's too loud and some people are saying, going to say it's too quiet because they're trying to get as many people in this cinema to hear clearly the message about Jesus. We talked about stewards earlier on. What are they doing? Their ministry is, is the same. To get people to encounter with Jesus. Just think what it's like if you're a new person and, you, and you've turned up to the cinema. You, you go in the car park. Well, where are we going? Is it really that? Is it really that cine world? Okay, well, we'll go in. Well, where do our kids go? What do we do this? Which cinema that actually is? If you think there was no stewards in in the, in the, in the entrance hall, if there was no stewards on the door, where do I go? And then you sit down, and then the person next to you during the talk decides to fall asleep and snores loudly so you can't hear what's going on. That person is not in a great place to respond to Jesus. But the person who gets, and this is why we want more stewards, the person who gets greeted in the car park, especially when it's raining with a steward with an umbrella, who then takes them from the car park right through the entrance hall into here, shows you to a seat, says hello to you, gives you a smile, that person is more likely to have an encounter with Jesus because they feel happy, they feel at peace, they know what they're doing. They're not so concerned. So I'm going to give a challenge to you because you're quiet, so you get challenges when you're quiet. (laughs) And it's kind of a bit off message. But just think about this. So the stewards will do stuff. Because they're trying to create the best environment in here so that people can encounter Jesus. That is their role. So I'm going to try and put this as kindly as possible. So their heart, their vision, they might get it wrong, they might make mistakes, they are human, It's so that people encounter Jesus, as many as possible. What is your heart when you do something they haven't asked, they've asked you not to do? That's tough, isn't it? Their heart, it's not about the individuals, it's about creating this space so as many people can, ex- can experience and encounter Jesus as possible in an atmosphere which provides that. That's why we put barriers up. It's to do with room dynamics. We're trying to create an atmosphere where it's better to meet with Jesus. We might get it wrong, we might make the wrong, we might make the wrong decisions, but listen to our hearts. The things we do, the, the things the stewards do, the things the tech guys do, the things the worship guys do—it's all to provide an encounter with Jesus. And we don't always get it right, and we can't please everyone. What about what about the uh, children's workers? I think they're a double double whammy, really. Their their prime, their prime uh, directive gonna use that word—directive is to provide an encounter with Jesus for our children. Which know how important that is. But secondly, it allows us parents freedom so we haven't got distractions to what? So that we can encounter Jesus too. It's a double whammy. That's why the children's work is so important. Anyway, I'm getting a bit off, t- off uh, subject, so I'll carry on. I'll tell you what will get me on subject. Can I have my video? Brilliant, thank you. Me? Mrs. Edwards! What do you want? Mrs. Edwards, I know I ask you this like every week, but would you like to ride the church with me? Aw, uh, come on Mrs. Edwards, you like my church. We have some hot music. It may not be what you're bumping at all, but it's hot. We get down. What do you say, Mrs. Edwards? Oh, I suppose. I've heard it said that 80% of first-time church visitors come because someone personally invited them. All people need to feel loved and wanted, and for some people, it just takes having someone offer to give them a ride to church. We have something great going on at this church. People's lives are being transformed by God's love. Your homework this week is to find at least one person who could use a little more of that love and invite them to come with you next week. Trust me, it's worth the extra effort. Mrs. Edwards, you want to listen to some music on the way? Go ahead, your choice. Okay, here we are. Okay, so I want to give you some practical tips on how to encourage people to have an encounter with Jesus. Specifically, how to invite people to church. Okay, the first one is what we've already covered. We'll we'll be giving these out soon. Invite them to a Christmas service. It's actually socially normal to go to church at Christmas. It's 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 not crazy. Come to a carol concert with me. Why don't you just invite someone down your street, someone you know, to, to say, Hey, we've got a carol concert at our, at our church. It's in the cinema. That normally starts some interest to getting people in. Why don't you come along? The second, as shown in that video, is to offer to pick them up or meet them outside. See, if you pick them up, you arrange your time to go and pick them up. When you knock at their door at, at whatever, 10 o'clock in the morning, they're less likely to say no and if you're waiting in church to turn up, they might, might give an excuse. But if you go and pick them up, they, they feel a bit more obliged. I hope that's not manipulative. But anyway, um, the next one, <laughs> if you can't do that, just just meeting them outside really, really helps. It is scary coming into a church. It is scary coming to something you don't know. If you go with a friend, it really helps. It's like if you're scared of going on aeroplanes. If you've got someone going with you who's been on airplanes hundreds and hundreds of times, you just think, oh, okay, I'll say, if I just stick with them, they know what's going on. And you just look to them to see what happens. That's what people are doing when they come here. They want to look to someone to see what you do. It just it just stops that that issue. Okay. The third is, uh, if you're performing, so why not invite them to listen to your performance? If you're singing up here, if you're playing, invite people. Now. On the, uh, on the first one, on the 6th of December, when we had the concert, all of Revival Kids and all of All Stars are performing on this platform. I tell my dad, my mum, and I don't need to because they're, they're Christians and they live in Kent, so it's a bit far to come. But if they, if they lived here and they didn't come to our church, if I told them that my daughter was performing on Sunday morning, singing in, in a cinema like this, they couldn't wait to come. They would want to come for that. It's a good reason to invite someone. Sometimes we're busy doing our Facilitate a Meeting with Jesus ministry job, and we hide behind it. Um, I saw this in a church uh, recently. They'd done an evangelistic event. Brilliant. The whole church had got involved. There was, you know, you get there, there were stewards in the car park. The whole church mobilised, all the way through to where, where it was. They'd put out postcards. Hardly anybody didn't turn up from the church. They were all busy serving. But no one came because they forgot the most important job as in bring people. If you're not on one, one of the stage ministries here or you're not busy on the Sunday when we got, um, got a Christmas service, do you know what? You've got the most important job. Bring people here because otherwise there's no point having a banquet if the guests don't turn up. My next one is pray, pray, pray. It is amazing what happens when you pray. As long as you're willing to be bent as well. It's not about, alright, oh, I want to pray my will into someone. When you offer someone up before, before God, so who should I pray for and how should I do it? You kind of have to listen to God and do what He wants you to do. How, how can you expect someone else to do what God's calling them to do if you won't do what He's calling you to do? I am finding this amazingly. Um, I, I, t- I have some very difficult conversations and I'm praying before these difficult conversations and more and more I'm finding that people are telling me what... What needed, to, what needed to be said before I've even challenged someone or before the conversation's taken place. Um, a few years ago, do you remember Rich and Kate Ellaby who are now in Gaul? I, ha- I, I knew they had to move to Gaul. I hate giving directive words like that. Really hate doing that. So, so, we, so I called a meeting with them after putting it off for a while because I didn't really want to tell them and I didn't know what the fallout would be. And uh, So we get this meeting, we sit down and Kate and Rich say to me before you say anything I think you need to know this we've decided to move to Gaul didn't know what to do with the rest of the hour then that was all done it is amazing what happens when you pray the next thing is use the little you have now I can tell stories and stories of street evangelism but you know what I'm not actually an evangelist I hate street evangelism and yet I've done it loads. I've gone not only in this country, I've gone, gone to other countries and taken church paid evangelists on the street and taught them how to do it. And do you know what? They want to do it, I, I, I don't. <laughs> because, but what happens is all I do is I just offer and sacrifice the little I have and God comes up with the rest. Childlike faith, that's all it is. Think about feeding of the 5,000. If I was there in that crowd with my pat lunch of fish and bread, I wouldn't have dared go up to Jesus and the disciples and said, "Look, this is what I've got." It'd be like an insult. It'd be like, "This can't, this can't feed five thousand people. They can't be talking to me." But the innocence of a child does. We had a, we had a, a discussion around our family table recently about, about going on holiday. I think it was about two years ago. And uh, is that recently? I don't know. Two years ago. And uh, we were talking about how going on holiday and how expensive it would be to go to to an abroad holiday. And uh, Anna. You know, she was probably five at the time, pipes up and says, well, I think it's easy. Why don't I put all the money from my uh, piggy bank on the table and you put some money and you put some money and you put some money in and then we'll be able to afford it. Childlike faith. £10 wasn't going to make a dent in it, in the the cost of a holiday. But we went because a father responds when a child Sacrifices. Just use the little you've got. Use your testimony. Okay? And when I say your testimony, I'm not saying, okay, so I was, I was born in Barnet and then when I was five, I moved to, to Kent and then I became a Christian. When, what I mean by testimony is something God has done. So it could be, hey, do you know, last Sunday, I went into church and I was feeling really naff and then I just started singing and it's just like the, the, the despair just went off me and I just felt good. Do you know people are waiting for that? We can, tell, we can tell stories about healings, that's great, but that sometimes put, puts people off. We could tell stories about how God has loved us and cared for us. And do you know a lot of people, that's what they're looking for. Okay, I'm just trying to rush this on. And of course, with Revelation 12 verse 11, they overcame by the blood of a lamb, the word of their testimony. And then the third one, which is my next point, and they loved not their lives unto the death. We, we, uh, we, we like to miss that bit out, don't we? There was three things, blood of the lamb, Willow testimony, and they were were willing to die. Willing to die for their faith. And I don't want to be uh, derogatory because there's so many stories of people who have died for their faith. But let's let's dial it down a little bit. Sometimes we, we need to die to pride. We need to die to our own agenda. We need to die to maybe that TV program we want to watch when we know we should go and talk to someone. We will overcome when we, when we put God first, when we do His will, when we do what we know we should do, when we, we follow those little acts of obedience, then God shows up. Okay, next one is fear is not a disqualification. If you're scared of talking to people, don't worry, so am I. When I've been to, uh, again, I mean, I don't know where I got the reputation for, but I, I get asked to go and, and show people how to do street evangelism. Most of it I turn down. Um, but when I do go, you know, be in something and then it will start raining and they're going, oh, we're so sorry it's raining and we've cancelled it and we don't want our youth to go out here or we don't want the people to go out now because it's raining. Not realising inside them kind of going, yes, I don't have to go out. <laughs> Honestly, I don't like going on the streets. I like coming back from the streets though with the stories but I have to kick myself out the door to go and do it I don't want to do it I don't want to go and talk to my friends about Jesus I don't want to go and talk to my family about Jesus but fear is not an option fear is not an option doesn't disqualify you ask, ask, ask that's my next point just keep asking sometimes we don't ask because we think the answer's going to be no let's be honest that's sometimes, that's sometimes the reason we don't pray for the sick because we think the answer is going to be no still ask You're more likely to get healed if you pray for it than if you don't. Someone's more likely to come to to a service here if you ask them than if you don't. Don't worry if they say no. I've been asking neighbours down my street for a while. Most of them say no. Or they say yes and then they don't come. Or don't worry about that. We're We're not looking for perfection. If you ask someone and they say no, don't worry about it. It does, it does happen. My best story from evangelizing my street is this. We came back from a conference where we've seen healings and everything everywhere. As I, as I get on the, on the driveway, I think, I need to go and pray for my neighbour who's, who's long-term ill um, with, with some condition. And uh, I went, nah, it's just because I've been at the conference. I'm just making it up. So I went in the house. But, you know, God just keeps pulling, doesn't He? He just keeps pulling when they go. So eventually I go over, knock on the door, I go, hello. And, and, and the wife greets me and just says, oh, just come in okay, well I'm in. Um, sat down and she talks to me for about 10, 15 minutes, and, and then somehow I break it into the conversation. But I want I want to pray for the husband. She's she's going go on, go on, be great, be great. And I'm sharing the testimony of stuff that's going on. He said no, he didn't want me to pray. But I'm glad I went. I'm really glad I went. They know that they know that I'm there. If you ask someone to come to church, guess what? And they say no. Guess what? If they want to go to church, they know who to ask. If they have, if they have a, a crisis or they're just interested, they now know who to ask. People say no, ask them again, ask them again, ask them again. Okay, very quickly, don't just go for nice people. We think, oh, they're nice, they'll, they'll be a good Christian. Salvation Army at their peak when they were planting about five churches a week, this was their strategy, go into a town and find the worst sinner ever and convert them. At this party with Levi and Matthew, what's, what's the response of, of, of the religious people? It's full of sinners. It's full of sinners. Do you know what? I want the cinema full of sinners. In some ways, I want our church to have a bad reputation because of the people we attract. Because where are people going to start? It's not about where you are, it's where you're going. First step. I love churches where I hear they've got um, notorious sinners in them. I won't unpack that anymore. And Small steps. Always a marathon starts with a first step. When I go on the streets evangelizing, do you know what? I, I always look for the people who God's leading me to. I've learned to do this. Just go up to the first person you see. Because once I've done that and talked to that person, it doesn't really matter what happened in that conversation. I've kind of like broken my duck, if you know what I mean. I'm like, okay, I've done something. I'm in the groove. Because what happens, Lord, is I'll wait for when God tells me to. No, it's not the right time. No, it's not the right time. No, it's not the right time. Sometimes our fear will overcome what God's saying. Or sometimes we just need to start moving. And when we start moving, when we take the first step, he'll take the next step and the next step and the next step. And the last thing is just know it's good for you. Know that asking people and sharing your faith is actually good for you. If you want to experience the love of God, this is not the best way to do it. Lord, fill me with your love. It's a good way, but it's not the best way. The best way is this. Go and love someone else go and love someone who is really hard to love because then you have to pull on heaven for the love from heaven to give to them. And as it flows for you, guess what? You experience the love of God. If you want to experience the forgiveness of God, start forgiving other people because you start to draw down from heaven the forgiveness you need. So you're not supposed to be a lake, you're supposed to be a river. We say it the whole time. You experience what you put through you, not what you think just resides in you. If you want to experience the love of God, if you want to experience the power of God, start stepping out of it and drawing on heaven to make up the shortfall. So, your your challenge is this. Invite free people to the Christmas services we've got. They don't all have to come. They don't all have to say yes. Pray about it then ask them, it's not that hard, but it is a bit scary.